0: Let's open our Bibles tonight uh, to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. We began 2 Kings last week, and it's really just a continuation of the succession of kings in the northern and the southern kingdoms, and we're going to see in this particular book the Both of these groups of, uh, both of these kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, uh, the northern, which comprised of ten tribes, and the southern, comprised of two, the northern, known as Israel or Ephraim, and the southern tribes, known just as usually Judah, but it includes Judah and Benjamin, but known as Judah. We're going to see throughout this book that ultimately in chapter 17, we're going to see Israel through their succession of kings as we continue going forward. In chapter 17, we're going to see the northern ten tribes going into captivity for their idolatry. And they never really recovered from their idolatry. From the very beginning, when Jeroboam began to be their first king, he, remember, set up two uh, centers of worship, one in Bethel and the other one in Dan, and set up these golden calves that they would worship. And Israel never recovered from that idolatry. They continued and so God was going to cause them to go into captivity specifically for their idolatry. And, uh, and, and, other, and, 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 and so that, that does come to pass in chapter 17. And then later on, in chapter 24, a couple hundred years later, we see that Judah, not learning from her northern sister, if you will, uh, continues in her idolatry, and, and ultimately God brings judgment even upon Judah, and he brings the, the Babylonians. And first they lay siege to it in 606 BC. And then for 20 years, not only do they lay siege to Jerusalem, but they also had at least three deportments of Jews from, uh, from Judah, from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then finally in 586, 20 years later, they finally have enough of that, and they just decide to burn it to the ground. And so they destroyed Jerusalem altogether. We know that that was the end of it, and uh, but there were many who went into captivity uh, for the same reasons for their sin. But in this chapter that we're going to look at tonight, we're going to see the very ending of Elijah, this wonderful prophet, the Bible really has nothing bad to say about him. And I, I love the fact that the word of God is very honest about its characters. Um, and these are real people. These aren't just allegories or stories. But the, this is something that, you know, Elijah was just one of those sterling characters like Samuel. Samuel was another one of those characters who just had a, a fantastic reputation of godliness. And, and boy, don't we need that today? Do we? Can I get an amen? Yeah, we, we need that. And you know what? The Lord wants to start with you and I. And just ask him, say, Lord, make me that, that, that sterling character. And even if you've made a lot of mistakes, start today and, and continue to walk in holiness with God from here on out. And so we're going to see the end of Elijah's ministry, and we're going to see the beginning of Elisha's ministry. Their names sound very similar, but they're, they're two different men. And Elisha, we're going to see his ministry really beginning in chapter two here, going all the way through chapter nine, verse one, and then we're not going to see anything about him or hear about him pretty much until the 13th chapter where we learn of his death. And the Bible doesn't give us an understanding of how Elisha died, but he was going to serve basically for about 56 years. So a wonderful man of God. But the passage before us that we're going to read tonight is uh, the passing of the mantle. Literally, passing the mantle from Elijah to Elisha. And isn't it true that in ministry, as well as in the world, um, it's natural for a passing of some authority? Whether it's a CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 company, or whether it's a, a pastor uh, from a church Who's who's getting older and he's he needs to retire or or move to Florida and uh, uh, or whatever it is and have another young person come up in his place. Um, it's true that 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 needs to happen and it happens in the world. It happens in the church. It's it's a very natural progression and sometimes it goes smooth, sometimes it goes very smooth and it goes and it's planned and at other times it's a complete crisis and then there's a vacuum of leadership and authority and this happens typically when, for instance, in a church if a pastor falls into adultery or falls into some kind of sin where he is removed from that pastorate and now there is a a void and now you've got a board of elders scrambling to find out who it is going to be, who it is that's going to replace him. And so that, that that's what they call a crisis. And that happens. It happens. But when we look biblically, you know, before we get into this, I just want to touch on this. But, you know, biblically there are some great examples of this passing of the mantle. You know, we've looked at Moses and Joshua. Moses. Uh, being the leader of Israel, bringing them out of Egypt through the wilderness, and then finally gets them right to the edge of the of the of the wilderness, in a sense, getting ready to go over into the promised land. And because of uh, Moses's own issues of anger, God doesn't allow him to go into the promised land. But he uses Joshua, Moses's servant, who had been serving him and walking alongside of him, learning all of that time. And God uses him to bring the children of Israel into the promised land. Don't you find it interesting? Moses, being the law, wasn't able to bring them into the fulfillment, but Joshua, who was uh, what Jesus' name was as a baby—Joshua, his name is a contraction. When Mary and Joseph uh, were, when they, when Mary gave birth to uh, Jesus, his name wasn't Jesus. His name was Joshua. Or Jehovah Shua, which means God's salvation. That's literally what his name means. But Moses and Joshua, that was a, a pretty seamless changing of the guard, so to speak. And Elijah and Elisha, a similar thing. It's a very uh, a gentle thing. It, it happens. And certainly we look at David and Solomon. That happened, even though there was some bumps and bruises because of David's sin, The transition from David to Solomon went really well. And of course, Jesus and his disciples, he prepared 12 men who literally turned the world right side up because it was upside down to begin with. But Jesus, being faithful to teach these men and prepare them for three and a half years to minister in his name, and that went really well. And even when you look locally, what has happened in the Calvary Chapel movement you know, um, just locally here, you look at Bob Chappell and Micah Chappell. You know, Bob Chappell uh, passed away, and that was a, a, a little bit more difficult of a, of a transition, but it happened. And Scott and Bill Gallatin out at the Finger Lakes, Scott had grown up, obviously, with, being the son of Bill Gallatin. And he finally takes this place, and even myself, Pastor Jeff Breed, who was here for a long time, began this fellowship. Started off as a Bible study in his home, in his apartment. And then, unbeknownst to me, for 23 years, my wife and I were leading worship under him. And then he leaves, and the Lord taps me on the shoulder. (laughs) It's funny how that all works. But it was a gentle, it was a good transition. But not all transitions go that way. But I was being prepared. I didn't know that I was being prepared. I was very happy and content, leading in worship. I love that. I still do. But God had a different plan, a different turn in my my path. And we're going to see that tonight, too, that Elijah, a faithful man, faithful prophet, but there came a time when God says, okay, Elijah, your ministry is over. You've done a great job, And and we've already looked at Elijah running from... Jezebel because he had executed the 450 prophets of Baal there at Mount Carmel and so he, he hears about Jezebel's anger toward him and her desire to kill him and so he runs in fear uh, to the south of Israel all the way down to Sinai and, and, and he's, he's running and that was the only thing that was the chink in his armor really is running out of fear. He feared Jezebel and she was a fearful woman but Elijah needed to realize that God is in control. And I often wonder what would have happened if he would have just stayed put. (laughs) You know, um, God would have worked it out and he would have uh, allowed him to continue, I'm sure. But concerning Elijah and Elisha, God already had a plan and, and was preparing both of these men for the day when they would be parted from one another and Elisha would take up that mantle as Israel's prophet. So, and again, even in the business world, you see this kind of thing happening. And so how much more for the things of God? How much more for the kingdom of God? How much more for anything that we do in, in Christendom? There ought to be things done decently and in order except for those times when there's a crisis. But let's read uh, just the first 18 verses of Second Kings chapter 2, and then we'll look at the last part of this later on. But let's look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Notice what it says. It says, And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal, and then Elijah said to Elisha, "'Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel.' But Elisha said, "'As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, "'I will not leave you.' And so they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, "'Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master "'from over you today?' And he said, "'Yes, I know. "'Keep silent.' And you know, I I wonder the the tone in which he says that. I'm probably not doing it justice, but knowing what I think the tenor of the message is, it would probably be something like this. And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. (laughs) Then Elijah said to him, Elijah, excuse me, said to him, Elijah, stay here, please. Uh, For the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So, So they came to Jericho. And now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And so he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. And then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me on to Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on, and fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, and he rolled it up, and he struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Notice that, underlined dry ground. Because it's one thing to open a a lake or or a sea or a a river and to cross over. That's a pretty big miracle. But the Bible is very clear. They went over on dry ground. How does God do that? I don't know, but he doesn't even allow their sandals to get muddy. And so it was. When they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so he said, You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And then it happened as they continued on and walked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire. And separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed to the ground before him. And then they said to him, Look now, there are fifty strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or in some valley. And he said, You shall not send anyone. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, oh, Okay, Send them. Have you ever experienced that? When somebody keeps asking you the question, usually it's a son or a daughter asking a mother, you know, can I go to the movies? Can I go to the movies? No, son. No, no, daughter. No. Can I go to the movies? Can I go to the movies? No, no. And then finally you're just like, and there's like, just like a water on sandstone, and it's just driving you crazy, and then finally the parent just goes, okay. It's kind of that deal. But they urged him till he was ashamed, and finally he said, Send them. Therefore they sent fifty men. And they searched for three days, but did not find him. And when they came back to him, for, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? And so we're going to stop right there. We'll finish the rest of that in, uh, shortly, but I want to keep it um, uh, along this vein of this succession between Elijah and Elisha. And this is a a really interesting part of of the scripture. And I think it's it's a very moving thing for me. And probably because it's happened in my life, you know, relatively recently, you know, within the last 4 years, this whole thing has been something that still is very fresh in my heart and my mind. And so I remember the whole process and everything that happened when when Pastor Jeff left and I came on as a senior pastor and it was a bittersweet thing, and no doubt Elisha looked at Elijah as a father figure, and certainly he was younger than Elijah, but he looked up to this man, this this awesome man of God, and it's never easy to be parted from someone that you admire, someone that you've grown with, someone that you've learned from. And I know that to be true for myself, just being under Pastor Jeff. And again, not to elevate any man, but he was a great man and I loved him and he was like a dad to me. And he still is. I can still call him from time to time and we still talk for, usually it's like an hour at a time when we do talk because we got so much to catch up on. But note it, let's go back in verse 1 and take a look at it. It says, And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And and think of how strange this is. I mean, this statement seems so incredulous. Yes, the passing of a man of God might be expected at some point, but to be taken into heaven by a whirlwind is something completely different. It's something that is totally unexpected. There's never occurred anything like this unless you compare it to Enoch's supernatural departure in Genesis chapter 5. But the Bible Bible doesn't say that God took Enoch up in a a whirlwind like he did. I mean, it's very graphic here. Do you see what we just read? It's it's very graphic about what happened. But in Genesis chapter 5, when it talks about God taking Enoch, this is all it says. In in Genesis 5 verse 24, it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's it. And that word took him, the word took literally is like the Hebrew equivalent to the Greek word harpazo. Remember when it says, for the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air? That word caught up is harpazo. This snatched away violently, taken rapidly. That's exactly what happened to Enoch. It didn't say that he was, it doesn't give us any detail where this account does give us detail with the horses and the chariots of fire and then the whirlwind. It's very pictorial. You can see it in your mind's eye. And there's even speculation about how Moses, what happened to him? His body was never found. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy that Moses, the servant, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 34, beginning in verse 5. It says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him. Notice God buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. And it even gets more spooky if you think about it when we look into Jude. I think Jude is a spooky little book. It's a spooky little letter because it's very it talks about some really dark things in the end times but notice what it says in Jude 1 verse 9 Yet Michael the archangel speaking of Moses in contending with the with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation but said the Lord rebuke you But Elijah's departure is unusual again very graphic And notice what it says there in verse 1, that that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now this Gilgal, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you're probably familiar, you're thinking of the Gilgal that's immediately, like if you're looking at a map of Israel, and this is the eastern side over on Gilead, and here's the, the Jordan River, over on this side, remember when the children of Israel crossed over into the promised land, and what was one of the first cities they went to? Gilgal. And it was right there in the valley, right next to the mountain range. It's still there today. And then Jericho is a little bit further, further nor- or further south of that. But this is not the place. This Gilgal is actually further up, right about uh, seven miles north of Shiloh. OK? so we're actually starting from a northern section, and you're going to see. Uh, Elijah and Elisha slowly descend down through Gilgal, and then to Bethel, and then to, um, and then to um, Jericho. Yes, and then finally over to the Jordan. But the first time we hear, you know, in verse one there, we hear about Elisha. The first time we heard about him was in First Kings chapter nineteen. Do you remember? Or Elijah? I'm sorry. Actually, scratch that. <laughs> but um, going on to verse 2, it says, Notice Elisha, Elijah, excuse me. I'm, gonna, I'm hopefully not going to mess that up tonight because the, the names are so clearly, I'm going to enunciate pretty clearly. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Notice, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel, which means the house of God. Whenever you have a word, and then you have L at the end of it, E L, that means God. So Beth means house of God. L is God. L is always God. L El Elyon, L El Shaddai, it means God, you know. Um, and so Bethel is the, the house of, of God. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And, and, we're gonna, and so they went down to Bethel together. And, and we're going to see this, as we already have, uh, at least three times where Elijah is going to say this, you know, stay here, stay here, stay here. And it's puzzling why Elijah wanted him to stay. And, and we really don't know why. Perhaps uh, because Elijah knew that this was going to be a supernatural event, he knew that he was going to be taken up by God. Maybe he didn't know that it was God's will that Elisha be with him during that event. But I think this is very interesting. It's a very interesting moment. It's a very touching moment here because Elijah knew what God was going to do and and that God had uh, used Elijah in his life to mentor him for a time. And that Elisha would succeed him ultimately. But Elisha loved Elijah and no doubt saw him as a father figure. He didn't want to leave him. He learned a lot from him. But isn't it true that there always comes a time when uh, things have to change as we grow? Isn't that interesting how as we grow up there's there's a time when we're under our parents' wing and then there's a time where we have to become a little more independent and we have to learn to grow on our own. We have to stand on our own two feet. And, and moments like that are watershed moments in the life of every person. Sometimes it may be a child going off to college who's lived at home all of their, their life and now all of a sudden the day comes when in September when they've gotta pack up their car and their VW bug or whatever, you know, and, and they travel off to you know some college and the parents are out there in the you know, waving down the street, you know, and their child is waving out the window. There's a time. Things have to change, and I see the same kind of heart in Ruth. You remember in, in the book of Ruth, where Naomi, having lost her husband, and then she goes into she goes into uh, Moab with a husband and her two sons. Her two sons marry two Moabite women, and then her husband dies in Moab, and then her two sons die in Moab, and then the, the two women, uh, 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 Ruth and her, and her sister, they come along with Naomi back to Israel, back to Judah, and Naomi is trying to get the two daughters-in-law to go back to their home, hometown, their home area, and remarry and have kids. And the one daughter goes, but remember Ruth, what she said, that she said, look, your sister, or Naomi said, look, your sister has gone back to her people and to her gods, unfortunately. Return after your sister-in-law, but Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And the Lord, do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Same kind of heart that Ruth had to Naomi as Elisha has to Elijah. I'm not going to leave you, Elijah. You've placed this authority, you've come alongside of me. I know that you're mentoring me, and I'm not going to let you out of my sight. I'm not going to let you out of my sight. Now the sons of the prophets, verse 3, who were at Bethel, came out to Elisha and said, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. (laughs) So the Spirit of God evidently had made known to these prophets that this event of Elijah being taken up into heaven was going to happen. It was a very supernatural event. It was going to happen. And there were at that time in Israel schools of prophets. No doubt that Elijah had birthed himself all along in these different uh, towns in Israel. And remember at that time also that Baal worship was very prevalent. And God, God's heart was to root it out. Baal being the god of the Canaanites, the god of fertility, the god of war, the god of the rain and the agriculture. That's who they worship, this false demonic entity. And so Elijah raises up a whole school of prophets. They were basically Old Testament seminaries, if you think of them like that. So now the sons of the prophets, you know, they, they, and he says, yes, I know, keep silent. And, and, and this shows the emotional difficulty, again, for Elisha, as well as the sanctity of this event that was about to take place. He knew that it was coming, and they kept reminding him, but it was such a sore topic. Have you ever had something like that when somebody keeps reminding you of something that you know is coming, and it's really kind of a sore issue for you, and yet they keep reminding you, and you're like, "I, I okay. I get it. I get it. Stop talking about it. <laughs> Have you had people do that? Well, that's the, what was happening here. They were telling him, don't you know he's going to leave? Yes, I know. I'm not looking forward to it, and I know it's going to be today. I'm not looking forward to it. And why would he be excited about it? I mean, it's, it's like being thrown into the deep. He's always he's, he's had this covering over him, this great looming figure and now that looming figure is going to be taken out of his life. You know, sometimes God has to take somebody that you've, maybe it is a, a figure of authority or a father figure, whatever it may be, a figure of authority. The Lord at some point has to take it away from you so that you will grow. Because we, we will, we'll, we'll be very happy to sit under the shadow of that, of that visage, of that protection over that authority, and we're happy to stay there. And God's going, you know what, I have to take this. And there's more reasons than this, but there comes a time where you've got to do it. So, verse four. Uh, then Elijah said to Elisha, "Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho." So now, again, he's making this southern trek from uh, Gilgal, you know, then to you know Bethel, and now he's he's going to say, "Now I need to go to Jericho." But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, I, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to leave you. And so the sons of the prophets, verse 5, uh, told him the same thing. Don't you know your master is going to be taken away? Yes, yes, I know. Would you please stop saying it? You guys are like lemon juice on a paper cut. Stop it. Then Elijah said to him again, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. And so now from this place of Beth-El. Oh, now he's going to go um, He's gonna go east now, crossing the Jordan. But now they're going to be right there at the Jordan River. And so 50 men of the sons of the prophets, they went and they stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan River. And Elijah took his mantle, he rolled it up, and he struck the water. And it was divided this way and that. And the two, the two men crossed over on dry ground and when you see something like this, it ought to remind you of some things that happened in the, New, in the Old Testament. Excuse me. The first one is when Moses held up his staff and parted the Red Sea, and a couple million people, probably about two million people, crossed the Red Sea on dry ground again. Same thing happens. It's in Exodus 14. As well as when the Levites, remember, as right before they were coming into the promised land, what happened at that venture? The, the Levites carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they, the, the Jordan River is right there, and they're getting ready to cross over into Jericho. They can see Jericho from where they're at. They're about ready to step in, and God tells them to carry the Ark and step in. They're like, I'm going down. <laughs> this thing is roaring like a freight train in front of me. And so they, by faith, they step out. And as soon as they step in the water, the thing just parts for them. And again, dry ground. Dry ground. I say that on purpose because there's so many scholars today in universities, liberal scholars, that will try to uh, wrestle away these things that the Bible makes very clear. And don't ever let them do it. Don't ever let a scholar or somebody who thinks, they and maybe they are knowledgeable, but guess what? They're not as wise as God, and they certainly don't know the word of God. I'm going to believe this before I believe anybody with a degree behind their name. I can respect them, and I'm, I'm all for that, but I'm going to believe what God says, and not so much everybody else. Amen? Amen? And folks, we have to be that way today, because if we are not, we are going to be succumbing to all kinds of hurtful, devious things. And that's why Christianity today is at an ebb. People are believing what the scientists are telling them. People are believing what the high-flutened elites are telling them, and they're being washed away. Their faith is being washed away because they're believing them rather than putting their feet on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Don't ever let anybody take you off the rock. You stay firm on it. Hundreds of years, even a few thousand years, this book has been in existence. And anybody who has come at it trying to disprove it has either gotten saved or they've been killed. (laughs) Or they've lived miserable lives. You cannot thwart God. I'm sorry, but he wins. He's the chess master. He knows the move before you move. And he loves you. Don't ever forget that. He loves you intensely. In fact, he loves you so intensely that he knew there was no other way for you to be reconciled to him and to be with him forever, which is his heart's desire. So what did he have to do? He had to allow himself in the form of his son to be put on the cross and wrongfully killed and murdered on a cross and pay the punishment that you and I could never pay. Because he was almighty God, he perfectly fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies. Only Christ can do that. No one else, no professor from from Harvard or Yale or even Oxford, they can't. They can't do it. Jesus alone, exalt his name, love him. Notice in verse 9 back in our text, and And so it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I may do for you before I be taken away from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, think about what a wonderful thing this is. Elisha didn't want, you know, Elijah's bank account. He wanted a double portion of the anointing of God's spirit upon him. And usually when a father died, that the next born son, the first born son, would receive a double portion of the inheritance, he would receive a double portion over any of the other siblings. And so as Elisha is saying this, Elijah understands what's happening. And he says, well, it's not for me to give. If that's, God's, if that's what he wants, then he's going to do that and even put a condition on it. If you see me, when this thing takes me up, then, then God will answer you. But if not, then it's not going to happen. But I love what a wonderful thing that is. Notice that it was a spiritual blessing it wasn 't a physical blessing. Families, I would encourage you to think about you know what you leave for your kids when you when you leave this earth. Most people have a will and testament, and unfortunately, there are people who have uh, developed and, and amassed a great deal of wealth and then they put it in their will for their sole child, their one child that they have, and then they pass from the scene and this one child takes their fortune that they've amassed for years and spends it on silly, dumb things, becomes drug addicts or becomes a drug addict and, and, and allows most of it to go up their nose or in their arm. And totally squander their parents' inheritance. It happens all the time. But I love it how, when a, a Christian mom or dad says, The great, yes, I'm gonna give you something and it's gonna be in trust until you're 18, until you're able to handle it. And until then, I'm gonna train you on how to handle it when, so that when you get it, you can handle it rightly. But I'm gonna give you an even greater blessing, and that is the heritage. Of Christ. I'm going I'm to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you what God has done in my life. And I'm going to train you up in the way that you should go. So that when you, are, when you are older, you will not depart from it. Isn't that the most important blessing? More so than the physical dollars and cents? I mean, I know some families where that's happened. Where they, you know the, the, the mother or father was filthy rich. They, they, they worked hard all their life. They're Christians. They, they got it in the right way. And then when they died, they gave it away to charities. And their kids got very little or nothing. (laughs) And the kids, you know, hopefully if they grew up right underneath them, they're, they're, they're not too upset about it. I'm sure there's some grumbling. But the greatest heritage those parents gave them was work hard. Work hard. Be honest. Read the Bible. Give your heart to Christ. Be that light and salt in this dark and ugly world. The greatest thing that could be given. Right? So, verse 10. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be done to you. But if not, then it won't be. So, Elijah obviously couldn't guarantee that this was going to happen, but he left it up to the Lord. So then it happened. As they continued on talking, that suddenly, notice, a chariot of fire, literally chariots of fire, appeared with horses of fire. And notice, it separated the two of them. It went between the two of them, separated them, and then he was taken up by a whirlwind. Do you notice that it wasn't, he didn't go up in the chariot? (laughs) He didn't go up in the chariot. He wasn't on a horse when he ascended into heaven. And let me ask you, do you believe that that happened? Or is this just allegory? Is this just a cute story that you can tell kids in Sunday school? No, I believe that this happened because it did it did happen and it parted the two of them and then in a whirlwind and lightning and flash of clouds the lord took elijah up into heaven I find it interesting, too, that the same area that Moses died in the plains of Moab on top top of Mount Nebo, just opposite Jericho is the same place that Elijah was now being taken up into heaven. I just think that's pretty interesting. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he, he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them as a sign of grief, which is what they would do. They would just tear their clothes from top to bottom. And he took the mantle and he stood by the Jordan. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. Here is the moment of truth, right? Is God really... Uh, doing this? You know, is God really going to continue to do what what he said he was going to do? And certainly he does. He does do that. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the God of Elijah, the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. And this was confirmation that God had granted to Elisha his request. And again, this mantle was just a physical, symbolic representation, if you will, of what God had done. There was nothing magical about the mantle in and of itself. Because when something wonderful like this happens, people tend to worship the mantle. Like they did with the brass serpent. You know, it got to the point where one of the kings, I think it was Hezekiah, finally, when he realized that the children of Israel began to worship this pole that was used out in the wilderness, he called it Nehushtan, a curse, (laughs) and he crushed it into powder, and he got rid of it because they began to worship it. There's nothing significant about the, the, the mantle other than that it was symbolic of the authority and the power that God had given to Elijah. It was not a lucky charm. And God's not going to give his glory to some hairy garment. He's not going to do it. He alone is king. He alone deserves the glory. No one else should touch it. No one else. It doesn't belong to anyone else but him. And rightly so, because guess what? He's the king. I mean, I don't know if you read Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It doesn't say, in the beginning, Rob created the heaven and the earth. No, it says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Everything that there is, the earth and the everything belongs to him. It all belongs to him. He has a right to do with it what he wants. And aren't you glad that you serve a benevolent God who loves you? And he only has your best interest. In fact, he's the only one who has the best, his best interest for you. Because I don't even have my own best interest for myself. I proved it for the first 24 years of my life because I live like a pagan. <laughs> and then God gets a hold of me and now I'm walking with him and what a joy it is. Are you, are you glad that you're a, a believer tonight? Amen. Yeah, yeah, we're glad because of what he has done for He saved me from an eternal, eternal damnation that would never end. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. That is something to rejoice in. Yes, put on our robes and dance. Yes, (laughs) it's that exciting. It really is. But notice the sons of the prophets came to him and they saw him and they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha and they came to meet him. And again, they weren't worshiping Elijah, but really showing respect out of the one um, who was gonna take Elijah's office. And he says, and then they said to him, look, there's 50 strong men here. Let them go search for, and I'm paraphrasing here because we've already read this. Let's go look for him. Because maybe the Lord took him up in a whirlwind and just like they do out in, in Kansas, you know, somebody gets lifted up and they find him three miles away. You know, a baby in a carriage, I've actually heard of that one time, a baby was taken up into a tornado and they found him, the baby, two or three miles away, un, un, unharmed. I'm like, how does that happen? But God. Remember those two words? But God. And so It happens. And finally, they're like, Let's go. we're going to go look for him. No, you, you don't need to. He's gone. He's in the heaven. What are you wasting your time for? But they wouldn't listen. And he's like, okay, go check it out. Send out your dogs. Send out the dogs. Send out the bloodhounds. Here's, a, here's one of his you know, shoes. You can smell the scent and take off. Go find him. You're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to find him. Like the disciples of Jesus, these prophets were slow to learn and believe what the Spirit of God had already told them. Didn't he tell them? He did tell them. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically when he did, but they knew that God was going to take Elijah to heaven. Why wasn't that good enough? Why did they have to argue with God and say, no, just to make sure, we're going to go see if we can find him over on the mountain over there or in the valley. And he's like, why are you bothering? Don't, Don't you believe what God, what the Spirit of God told you? It's so important to believe what God says. He's not going to deceive us. He's not going to lead us in a direction that he doesn't want us to go. No, he wants to lead us into all truth. He wants to lead us to a glorious future. That's his heart. And anybody who thinks differently doesn't understand the nature of God. Yes, he sometimes allows us to go through difficult things, but there's more reasons why we have to go through difficult things than for him just to ruin our fun. No, he's building your character. And your character and the character of people in the church today is so important. The character of our kids as they grow up is so important right now. Let's be parents. Let's be parents and not our best friend to our child. We need to tell them no. We need to tell them no, you can't. I'm sorry. I can't let you do that right now. But there's coming a day when you're going to be able to do things, but not now. Be patient. And when they came back to him, they said, We, uh, you know, they didn't find him. He said, Didn't I tell you not to go? And it's true. Now, these first 18 verses bring to my mind, I'm going to take a little time here, just a few minutes. And because we're running out of time, I'm just going to abbreviate it a little bit for you. These first 18 verses bring into my mind these two witnesses of Revelation 11. You remember in Revelation 11 it says that, Uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple and the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is on the outside of the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months or three and a half years. And I will give power, notice, to my two witnesses. So there's going to be two witnesses in the end days after the church has been removed. During the great tribulation period, there's going to be two witnesses that are going to be raised up. And notice what God says. He says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth, which is 42 months or three and a half years. But these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before God of the whole earth And if anyone tries to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth, devours their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven, notice that, so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood. Doesn't that sound like Moses? And to strike the earth with all plagues, doesn't that sound like Moses? Doesn't the fire coming from heaven, doesn't that sound like Elijah? The Bible says that it's been appointed man once to die, but Elijah was never dead. When he ascended into heaven, he didn't die. God translated him. He did something because he's up there. (laughs) But I'm not the only one that thinks it's very possible that these two witnesses are Elijah that we're reading about tonight and even Moses representing the law and the prophets. And Elijah you know, could be representative of those who would be raptured or translated and not taste death when the rapture of the church occurs. You know, Elijah could represent those people because he was taken up when he wasn't killed. And we know that that, that part of the resurrection will happen at, when the church is raptured. It says that the, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive will be uh, caught up together in the Lord in the air. And then Moses... He would represent the Old Testament saints who would be raised at the beginning of the millennium. We know there's going to be another phase of this first resurrection that the Bible talks about. Another phase of it. There's three phases to it. Christ being the first fruits, and then the rapture of the church, and then those Old Testament saints that will be resurrected at the beginning of the millennial reign. Daniel 12, verse 1 and 2 tells us so, and he tells us that it's after the tribulation period that this occurs, which is the beginning, at the end of the tribulation is the beginning of Christ's millennial reign. And then besides all that, Malachi tells us this, Malachi 4 verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What is the great dreadful day of the Lord when he comes back in wrath to the earth? So before that happens, Elijah is coming. So I believe that Elijah and Moses will be those two. And even on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember when Jesus was up on the Mount with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or I'm sorry, um, Peter, James, and John, excuse me. And who was it that visited them while Jesus was transfigured before them? Moses and Elijah. It was Moses and Elijah. So verse 19 going on, it says, Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice. So now that Elisha experiences this separation from Elijah on the eastern side of the Jericho, or I'm sorry, eastern side of the Jordan River, he comes now over into the eastern side or the western side of the Jordan. He crosses over again, and he goes directly over to Jericho. And there he is, and then they come to him and they say, Please notice the situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren because there's something wrong with the water because it's not drinkable. And certainly when we use it for agricultural purposes, nothing is growing. There's something tainted in this water. And so uh, Elisha said, bring me a new bowl. Notice this, a new bowl. And it, it represents like Elijah, there's something new happening here. Just like there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Yes, the New Testament. Christ is the supreme. He's the new bowl. (laughs) But even more so. But he says, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And so they brought it to him. And salt, as you know, is always used as a preservative. It's also used as an antiseptic. But it's also a miracle because you can pour salt in a body of water that's not doing well all day. And it's not going to heal the body of water. God is going to have to do something. And certainly in this case, he did. So they went out to the source of the water. They cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. And from it, there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day. There's even a spring in Israel that's called um, uh, uh, Elisha's spring. And it's a freshwater spring. And it's still going from what I understand. So the, re- the water remained healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. And then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road... Now, it's interesting, because if you've ever been to Israel, you know that when we, when we, when we come down from the, from the north, and we drive down the Jordan Valley, and you get down to the road in the Jordan Valley, you have to take a right, because we're going south, you have to take a right, and there's this road that goes all the way up to Jerusalem, on the Mount Moriah mountain range. And so this this road is a very ancient road, and they've just paved it. They've made it like two or three lanes on each side, but it goes up there now. But a long time ago, that was the road they would use to travel because it was right between two mountains, and they could get a car or walk and, and, and do this meandering path all the way up to Jerusalem, and it's there today. And right to the right of that hill is Jer- uh, um, Jericho, and then you have Gilgal, which we believe is over in this area here, and so as Elisha is making his way up, and he's going to go up, and then he's going to take a right-hand turn and go up to Bethel, that there were some youths. And these it says youths, but these uh, could be anybody from the ages of 6 to 20 years old. So these weren't little kids. These were young teenagers, uh, probably, or young men who were teasing Um, Elisha. And remember, these may may even have been false prophets of Baal, these young men who were teasing Elijah, And notice what they said. They mocked him and they said, go up, bald head. Go up, bald head. And when they said, go up, bald head, what do you think that they're meaning? They heard about what happened to Elijah. He went up. So they're thinking, you, go up. Get out of our way. Get out of our, we don't want you. We want to worship Baal. We want to do our own thing, and we don't need another prophet like you. So hit the road, Jack. (laughs) Go up, bald head, just like your master. Go up. They were also despising God's word because God said that this was going to happen. So now they're mocking God's word. Now they're mocking the, the office of this prophet And in the Old Testament there was always a consequence for disobedience. And I'm going to read this to you. This is very interesting. You might want to put Leviticus 26 verse 21 and 22. Leviticus 26 verse 21 through 22. And let me just read it to you because it's very pertinent to what's about to happen. In Leviticus 26, verse 21, it says, God is speaking about the consequences of disobedience. And he says, Then, if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, God says, I will bring bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. And notice verse 22, here it is. And I will also send wild beasts, among you which shall rob you of your children destroy your livestock and make you few in number and your highways shall be desolate so if they didn't if they don't repent and give their heart to Christ people who mock God and his servants they are going to suffer God's vengeance if they don't turn from their sin if they continue to mock God and they mock his people and they are unrepentant when they take their last breath God will give them the desire of their heart and that's to go party with their friends in hell. And let me tell you something. If you think there's a party in hell for your friends, you're, you're sadly mistaken. There's no party in hell. There's misery and pain. And it's for eternity, folks. And that may be hard for you to swallow, but guess what? God is a loving God, but as much of a loving God he is, he's also a God of judgment. Never forget that that's the other side of the coin. As much as he loves, so great is his wrath as well. And that's where you will go if you reject God. It's up to you. It's in your hands. You can make a choice on where you go tonight. If I were you, I would give you some encouragement, and I'd say, choose Christ. I did, because I was choosing hell before I came to Christ, and I was living a miserable life. Oh, the party. At the moment, everything is fun. But then I wake up on the floor in a pool of vomit the next day or wake up next to somebody I've never met before. Is that your experience? Does that sound like a happy time? No, it's not happy. In Second Peter chapter 3, even in our days, come in, in, the, in the times that we live in, what did Peter tell us in Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 3? He says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according notice to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Again, doing the same thing they're doing to Elisha. Go up, bald head. Go up, bald head. You know, uh, scorning the word of God and, and, then, and then scoffing at other people's. And they're saying, where is the promise of us coming? Where is the rapture? You guys have been talking about this forever. When is it going to happen? And when is it going to happen? Is it really going to happen? I don't think it's really going to happen. And have you had anybody do that to you? Just kind of taunt you? Oh, waiting for the rapture. Are you going to escape the, the bad times? Yes, I am going to escape the bad times. And you would do well to think the same because... You may want to call me on a cell phone when you're going through the tribulation and, and you're, not, you're, not going to, you're going to get a busy signal from my end because you've been told ahead of time, right? But what does it tell us? What does Second Peter tell us? And we'll finish in just a moment. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> And they say, these scoffers, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And notice what Peter says. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved notice for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Yes, ungodly men are going to be judged. And then there's the the real judgment that that it tells us about in Revelation 20 verse 11 through 15. That that's the spiritual judgment that will last forever. Yeah, it's like it's it's like really bad. You get you get judged and then you really get judged. I don't know about you, but I would rather just believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and he and God judged him on my behalf and I believe in that and I'm in heaven, and I and I'm and I'm I'm good with God. <laughs> That's what I want. Do you want that? Yeah. I want that. I'm like yes. But notice finally Verse 24, so he turned around and he looked at them as they're saying, go up, bald head, go up, bald head, and notice he pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord and two female bears. By the way, if you're ever in the forest, like uh, Pastor Mark and Lisa were in Colorado recently and they saw a, a big, fat, 450-pound female bear in their path, just turn around. Don't run because they hate it when you run because they're gonna chase you. Just look at them and go, <laughs> and just, and just slowly walk away, and every now and then just kind of look over your shoulder to see if she's charging you. But just, just get out of the way. Don't, don't, don't even get in there. Just, in fact, don't even go to Colorado, okay? Just stay out of Colorado. And for heaven's sake, if you're going to go on a thing, bring an elephant gun and, and, and spray and a nuclear bomb stretched to your back. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do all that. But notice, he pronounced this curse, and two female bears, mama bears, they're the worst. Oh, my goodness. Don't ever make mama bear angry they came out of the woods and they mauled 42 of these youths. Now, that may sound like a really horrible thing for God to do, but I want to tell you something. The word mauled there doesn't mean kill. It means they got ripped into, they got tore up. Maybe some of them did die, but the word doesn't say that they were mauled to death. It says that they were torn. They may have lost chunks and pieces, and they were scraped up pretty bad, and they were probably a bloody mess, but God brought judgment upon them, and He allowed them to live. I believe because of the word "mauled." It doesn't mean killed. It didn't kill him, but he, those two female bears had the mastery over these forty-two young men. And I don't know about you, but pain has a good way of teaching. I learn really well by pain. I very rarely learn by when things are going well. But when I experience pain, I learn really quickly. I learn when I put my hand on the stove and it's red hot. I don't do that again. In fact, I'll never do that again. When I see a red hot stove, I'm not going to put my hand on it. I learn by pain. Does it, can anybody relate? I always, for some reason, I always learn I learn really well by pain. When God turns up the heat, I'm like, okay, I got the message. But some people, God's got a, he, he turns up the heat and they're like, huh? And they're still walking along doing their same old sin and they're like, whoa, what's that? And they're seared. Their consciences have been seared. You don't want to be seared, do you? But unfortunately, our culture today is removing any painful consequences of things that are going on that people are doing wrong. They're removing all the pain from it. Oh, you robbed a bank? That's your first time offense? Stop that. Don't do that again. You're free to go. $500 check, though. Is that what's happening? Oh, you shot that poor man on cold blood? Don't do that. Stop that. Don't do that again. You've got to say you're sorry. Say you're sorry three times and then write a check for $1,000. You can be on your way. So crime does pay, <laughs> all right? But pain is a great teacher. I learn by pain. God doesn't want me to learn by pain. He'd much rather just tell me to do the right thing and I would just do the right thing. But because I'm a rascal, because I'm a nincompoop, I have to continue doing the bad thing, and then he's got he's to he's judge it. He's got to get my attention. And, and as a believer, he chastens me. He chastens me, and I go through a chastening, but the, the end result is instruction to get me to change. But if you're an unbeliever, and you think that you can continue in your darkness and your sin, When you've been told over and over and time and time again, don't do that, don't do that. This is what the Bible, don't do that. Ah, I got away with it 300 times before, I'm going to do it. And then that very next time, his life is taken. These things happen. But notice, so I I don't think that God, the Bible says that God does not delight, certainly in the death of the wicked. He doesn't delight in judgment. The Bible also says that it's his strange work. It's not something that he likes to do. He'd much rather bless you. How many of you want the blessing of God? Raise your hand. (laughs) Yeah, we all do. We want the blessing of God. I love God's blessings. They're without repentance. And, and, and And I love being blessed by God because he gives me things that I don't deserve and he gives them to me at a time when I'm able to deal with it, when I'm able to handle it, but not until then. And so verse 25 finally, and then we'll pray. Then he went from there, notice, he went from this place, he went to Mount Carmel, which is another pretty long traveling by foot all the way up into the northern part over there on the coast where Mount Carmel is. No, it's not Mount Carmel. It's Mount Carmel. Carmel, not Carmel like they say in Penfield. I'm going to put a Carmel in my mouth. No, it's not Carmel. That's the way they say it in Texas. But in, <laughs> we say Carmel. <laughs> Carmel. So he went up to there to Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria, which was the capital of the northern ten tribes. And so, uh, a pretty interesting chapter—just the beginning of Elisha's ministry, the end of the old guard, the beginning of the new guard—and again, you know, the, these things have to happen, and it's never easy. And you, you just see it in the text. Read it again tonight, and just—and uh, maybe you've been through something like that, where you've experienced a, a passing of someone. That has been influential in your life, and, and now it 's time for you to get on your own feet it 's time for you to move forward and to grow in faith and to grow up and um, it 's always a, a difficult thing, so let 's stand and pray, yeah? Father, we just thank you for this time together, and Lord, we thank you for the examples in your word. Lord, we ask that you would just continue to teach us, lord um, how to how to be Lord. Uh, to develop a character, Lord, that is um, pleasing to you, Lord. And Father, as we think about Elijah and Elisha, Lord, I pray that you'd birth within each of us, Lord, a a heart's a, a desire, Lord, to not only be a mentor for some other young person in our life, but also to be willing to be mentored by somebody who perhaps is older than us or older in the Lord. And so, Lord... Give us those right hearts. And and, and again, thank you for your word, Lord, and how it encourages us. Lord, thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great night.